This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. Last week, the U.S. Department of Education released the results of the National Assessment of Educational Progress, sometimes referred to as NAEP scores. It's a nationwide measurement of learning, particularly reading and math, in the fourth and eighth grades. And West Virginia had some of the lowest scores in the country. The NAEP scores further highlighted concerns that we already had based on you know, our review of our general summative assessment um, from the end of last school year. That story and more coming up on this West Virginia Morning. Changes to Affordable Care Act coverage can mean cheaper health insurance for some West Virginia families. Amelia Nicely reports. Sign up for the Affordable Care Act's marketplace insurance begins November 1st. This year, the federal government attempted to fix what's been called the family glitch. Families who qualify can now forego their job-based insurance for a more affordable ACA plan instead. Jeremy Smith is the program's director for WV Navigator, which helps West Virginians with the ACA enrollment process. Thousands of families have never been able to get a plan through the marketplace only because they were offered unaffordable health insurance from their spouse's job. They have finally created an affordability test. Additionally, the Federal Inflation Reduction Act locked in lower prices for marketplace plans for three more years. Open enrollment runs through January 15th. Learn more about how to sign up on our website at wvpublic.org. For Appalachian Health News, I'm Amelia Nicely in Charleston. The Public Service Commission is overseeing an electricity purchase that could affect customers in three counties. As Jessica Lilly reports, the purchase means customers could face an increase in their monthly bills. The PSC is inviting public input as it determines the price that Appalachian Power can sell electricity to Black Diamond Power. Black Diamond Power supplies electricity to almost 5,000 customers in Clay, Wyoming, and Raleigh counties. The PSC is considering the company's proposed consolidated purchased power surcharge. If approved, some customers could see an increase of more than $6 on their monthly bill. Special contract customers such as Black Diamond would not be affected by other surcharges imposed by by Appalachian Power, including the approximately 297 million European Norms Electrical Certification, or ENEC, request currently pending before the Commission. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Jessica Lilly. The public hearing is today in Clay. The eventuary hearing on the matter will be held Wednesday in Charleston. An outdoor education center and an air show are coming to the Eastern West Virginia Regional Airport with a $300,000 contribution from the Berkeley County Council. Shepard Snyder has more. The air show is set for August 26th and 27th. Recognizing a century of flights at Berkeley County's Shepherd Field, which opened in 1923, the airport's education center will include an observation area for visitors to watch aircraft fly in and out of Shepherd Field and activities for children. Airport CEO Nick Deal says these projects are a way to help expose locals to aviation and help continue what's becoming a growing field in the region. We have over a uh, $300 million uh, economic impact on the Eastern Panhandle annually. Uh, there are over 2,000 people employed 
on the field here. The contribution comes as other investments are being made in the eastern panhandle's flight industry. Shepard University is set to launch an aviation program through their business school next fall. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Shepard Snyder in Martinsburg. Amendment 3 asks West Virginia voters if churches should be allowed to incorporate. As Randy Yowie reports, West Virginia is the only state in the country to not allow religious incorporation. When a company incorporates, it becomes its own legal business structure set apart from the individuals who founded the business. Bishop Matthew Regal of the West Virginia and Western Maryland Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America says, incorporation is how people get together and form a legally recognized entity, a way of providing a legal structure for operation. Regal explains that in the late 1800s, there was a big push to get churches incorporated. Um, there, were, there were churches where pretty powerful businessmen were members of the councils of churches, uh, and they recognized the benefits of incorporation for their industries and their other financial holdings. In 1863, Virginia still had church incorporation outlawed on its books from a much earlier period, and West Virginia, having seceded, just inherited it. It came about as a way to like, get around the political implications of having the General Assembly make decisions about which religious institutions should be allowed to incorporate. Virginia allowed church incorporation 20 years ago, following a successful lawsuit by Reverend Jerry Falwell. West Virginia now remains the only state in the country to not allow religious incorporation. Senator Charlie Trump, a Republican from Morgan County, responded to local pastoral questions on church incorporation by sponsoring a Senate resolution leading to the amendment proposal. Denying a religious organization or church opportunity to do something that every other organization may freely do, in other words, incorporate, uh, violated the First Amendment to the United States Constitution, which provides for, of course, among other things, the free exercise of religion. Trump says amendment passage would be permissive, not requiring any church or religious organization to incorporate. It would just, uh, it says only provisions may be made by general laws for the incorporation of churches or religious denominations, uh, and that would presume that they wanted to. Some of the some of the small ones apparently do. Bishop Regal says the only drawback of amending the state constitution to allow church incorporation would be some extra paperwork for him and his synod. We have our own constitution for our churches, and the standard language says that a congregation must be incorporated in the state in which it resides. If the amendment passes, then all of my congregations that have that provision need to seek incorporation at that point. Not because the state is forcing them, but because our own church governance would require it. And that'll be extra work for people. It'll be extra work for me. Trump says any church organization requirement for incorporation would not be something that was being compelled by the government. Both Regal and Trump have heard of some West Virginia religious organizations over the past few years that have incorporated by just flying under the government's radar. I think that's more evidence that we need to remove this uh, provision, which would restrict it or, alter or amend it from the, within the state constitution. There is no hue and cry evident anywhere in the state against Amendment 3. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Randy Yowie in Charleston. This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. It's 751. 
Some areas of fog this morning, mostly cloudy skies today. Highs in the 60s and lower 70s. Cloudy overnight with lows in the 40s and partly sunny tomorrow, highs in the 60s. Support for the weather forecast is provided by the attorneys at Torres Save a Law, representing firefighters, police officers, and West Virginia families. Information at TorresSaveAlaw.com. Last week, the U.S. Department of Education released the results of the National Assessment of Educational Progress, sometimes referred to as NAEP scores. It's a nationwide measurement of learning, particularly reading and math in the fourth and eighth grades, and West Virginia had some of the lowest scores in the country. Deputy Superintendent Michelle Blatt for the West Virginia Board of Education spoke with Chris Schultz about what the results mean for education in West Virginia. Deputy Blatt, thank you so much for joining me. Could you start off by telling me simply what was your reaction to seeing the NEEP data come out? Well, the the NAEP scores further highlighted concerns that we already had based on you know our review of our general summative assessment. Um, from the end of last school year. We knew we would most likely see a decline. Uh, we were a little surprised at how much of a decline we saw, but overall we were not expecting good results just based on looking at our summative assessment um, from that previous year as well. What can you attribute these results to? You know, to begin with, coming out of the COVID pandemic and the loss of in-person instruction was a huge hit on the scores across all of the states. There's no um, replacement for a teacher in front of a student and that ongoing interaction and relationships that we have in our classrooms. While we provided virtual instruction when our schools were shut down, we know that so many of our students do not have the broadband to even download lessons or to engage on a daily basis. We also know that we, it was a huge learning curve for our teachers to just overnight transition to virtual instruction as opposed to in-person instruction. And then thinking of the lack of support that many of our students had in the home. So we have a lot of you know parents that were working and students were left alone all day trying to do lessons. Um, we have a lot of students in foster care and various other situations across our state that just without that teacher to support them in their instruction, you know, they were not able to obtain the skills that they would have had they been in in the classroom. What does this data tell you about the path forward in West Virginia for education? Well, it tells us that we have a lot of students that we need to get caught up. We have a lot of students with skill deficiencies and skill gaps because of the fact that they did not get that continuous instruction. I think it impacts, you know, our younger students and then even with our eighth grade math scores, were our lowest scores across the day. When you miss two and three years of instruction, it's hard to go back and catch up and to see where those discrepancies are. It tells me that we need to figure out what skills our students 
are lacking and where those skill gaps are, and we need to make sure that we can provide the interventions and supports that they need to make up that lost instruction. What What is an example of one of these skill gaps that you're referring to? Well, I know at our, our younger years, we've got students that are in third grade who missed a substantial amount of instruction in their early years of learning to read. So we know we have a lot of students um, with skill gaps in phonics and fluency, comprehension, um, those areas because they did not have that direct instruction that they needed to learn to read. This isn't just going to fall to our educational structures. This is a community issue more broadly as I see it. Can you tell me what intervention might actually look like? Yes, I would agree with you. We um, One of the things that we have in place is the Communities and Schools Initiative. That is a program that puts a, a site coordinator in the building to help take care of all the, the basic needs and safety needs of our students so that our teachers do have more time to focus on teaching and they're not the ones trying to provide the basic needs as well as the, the academic uh, instruction the students need. But we're going to need you know, everyone to to rally around. We're going to be, need to focus really on what it is these students need, working with parents, providing parents with resources that they need to be able to support um, their students in the evenings and on the weekends. And then also, you know, as you mentioned, community members, you know, any type of mentoring programs or engagement that we can get with our community and business leaders um, will definitely assist with the issues. One of the things that I heard in the presentation of the data was that COVID-19 and the pandemic didn't create these issues, but rather highlighted issues in education that already existed. Do you think that that's also true in West Virginia? I do. We, you know, we have been focusing for the last um, couple of years on the fact of how great of a need our students have with social and emotional, their health, and their, you know, their physical needs. Just as you mentioned, or the community that surrounds our schools, and the, in some places, the lack of support for public education. All of those things are definitely something that the, the pandemic highlighted. I do think there's a positive in that the pandemic did highlight the importance of our schools and in-person learning, because that's the place, the school is the place where the students are getting the meals that they need, the instruction that they need, maybe the mental health counseling, behavior assistance, and all of those things. So if there is a positive that came out of it, it's that I feel more people did see the value of our public school system and all the supports that we provide. That was State Deputy Superintendent Michelle Blatt speaking with reporter Chris Schultz about how the state's educational systems are moving forward after the pandemic. West Virginia Morning is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, which is solely responsible for its content. You can keep up with the latest West Virginia news throughout the day on our website, wvpublic.org. Support for our news bureaus comes from West Virginia University, Concord University, and Shepherd University. West Virginia Morning is produced with help from Amelia Nicely, Bill Lynch, Caroline McGregor, Curtis Tate, Chris Schultz, David Adkins, Eric Douglas, Jessica Lilly, Liz McCormick, Randy Yowie, and Shepard Snyder. Eric Douglas is our news director, and he produced today's show. I'm your host, Teresa Wills. This is West Virginia Morning.